Welcome to Linux Link Radio by Timesys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers who want to simplify and speed up their custom platform development. Visit timesys.com today for access to our podcast archives. Hi, welcome to Linux Link Radio, a podcast for embedded Linux developers. This is Gene Sally, and I'm and here with uh, Machi Halash. And, and today, I'm so, well, first of all, sorry that we missed you over Thanksgiving. We were either out of town or, or eating. Um, or, that or, second part, definitely. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, or, you enjoyed uh, your holidays as much as we did. Yeah, I did. I, I, I did want to record a little thing. Uh, I know we recorded something small about you know, sorry, we missed you for Thanksgiving, and I desperately wanted to talk about you know both turkey recipes and how to make proper gravy and cranberries. And then, of course, the guy from work is like, "Oh, you can't talk about that." So, so we had to skip that um, episode entirely. Uh, well, and and I know we talked about what we're, things that we're going to be talking about in upcoming episodes. Like, I know we have our JTAG debugging episode coming up. And uh, a, f- a few other things that we know are, are, uh, that people have been writing into us about. And, uh, and one of the things we wanted to tackle along that line, this time around, was doing uh, kernel development um, and kernel, uh, I said, porting, kernel, porting the kernel to a, a new uh, device. Right. I think that this is a very interesting topic to talk about because um, every day uh, we all see here at times is that um, companies, people want to port or adopt Linux for a new device. Um, and usually there is some sort of a starting point, but there's a set of steps that uh, one has to go through to get a Linux kernel running on a, on a hardware that really is deployed or is used um, as an end product. So. Sure. And, you know, a lot of that, unfortunately, is made to sound more difficult than it, than it really is. I mean, it's, it's, one of those, um, it's one of those development chores that either seems mysterious or is being, you know, positioned as being mysterious and extremely difficult to do. And I won't say that it's easy uh, for a lot of tasks, but then again, it's it's not so hard. And and as you said, if you if you go through some steps for uh, many boards and for many um, uh, uh, CPUs and um, uh, the CPUs that actually are the system on a chip, mm-hmm. it's it's not that bad of a process, and it's something that that's accomplishable without you know knowing some sort of magic skill. Well, and uh, interesting thing you mentioned, it is a process. So oh, yeah. um, as as long as we um, or you our listeners know the process. Um, it should be fairly easy to adopt that process to a specific um, application, sure. to a specific porting effort. Sure. Um, and uh, I agree with you that um, it might seem difficult, and it is in some cases. Yeah. Everything depends from uh, various factors, and we're going to, talk to cover all those different assumptions and uh, challenges that you might run into. But um, we want to focus on the process. We want to talk about um, first uh, a bit about the structure, what's needed, yeah, and um, most likely, what's going to happen is we're not going to have enough time today um, to cover the entire um, process. But hopefully, um, we'll we'll be able to uh, dive into more details in, in, as to how you port the Linux kernel to a specific um, platform um, next time. Oh, sure. So, you so- know, I, I agree. There's no way we could cover this in as we try to keep this to a, a half an hour, and I, I think there's uh, enough material there right so that if we started talking about it we could go on for an hour and a half easily hmm. and that's much too long uh, uh, you know i don't even i don't think we could keep someone's attention for an hour and a half uh, and let alone break it up into something that's coherent right for that mm-hmm. much time you can keep track of so mm-hmm. yeah, so let's dig in and uh, uh talk about what's going on and, and then i think today we're going to try to get at least as far as like kernel configuration and what's involved there yeah. uh, but it, it starts with you know, or you know, the typical question we get. So here's the question. So someone will call up and say, "Well, I don't even know where to start." Right. right. And so we tell those people, and they'll say, "Well, you know, I can go to kernel.org, right, and I can download my kernel, right, and I can start developing on that, right." So, so before we dive into that yeah. um, part of the process, usually uh, people have 
uh, some sort of a hardware design in, in mind. Oh, that's they, a really good point. Yeah, they already have a board that they already have designed, or they know what their new platform is going to have. Yeah, in terms of peripherals, in terms of specific processor, and um, very often. Um, a specific reference design is used as a starting point. I mean, hardware reference design. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Rarely does a customer, you know, call in here or I've talked to someone, talked to someone at a trade show that does not have some idea of what board they're using. Right. Because it, the level of effort required to adopt the Linux kernel for a brand new processor with brand new set of peripherals is completely different from um, adopting a, a reference design, a hardware reference design for a specific application. Um, so uh, what we want to focus on today and next time is um, the second the second use case where mm-hmm. uh, you have a, a reference design that you're starting from mm-hmm. and you are selecting different hardware components uh, similar to some extent to a reference design. Yeah, I, I do agree. I mean, if, if you were to start porting Linux for an entire new processor, I, I even doubt that's a podcastable Hmm. Uh, topic right but so i agree so let's stick let's let's start from this working from some piece of reference hardware Mm -hmm. let's say if you you got an atmel board or uh you know some sort of freescale board or some sort of x86 something whatchamacallit it doesn't matter as long as there's a reference um board and um your custom hardware your custom design includes um uh, well some percentage of components that have been used on on a reference board yeah and we see that you know we see that a lot with uh system on a chip designs right so mm-hmm. they'll take the system on a chip un- unchanged right and they'll they'll look at the the hardware and say well even if the hardware stays roughly the same uh i'm still interested in pairing out the software that's not going to be used for this piece of hardware right. Right? I, I can't change what's going to be on that die but when the when the guys uh fabricate the the board that's actually going to go in the device you know they're not going to put a, a head on it for a um uh, a video adapter and they're not going to put a usb head on it and they're not going to put a serial uh, bus head on it so I don't need any of that, and right. so I can I can just you know, take that out of my design from a software perspective, even though it's still sitting on that die. Yeah. Um, today we see more than ever the, the adoption of system on chips rather than um, just processor cores. So um, certain applications, well, I don't think that there is a, a single application that would require all of the peripherals on the system on chip, but um, I would bet that uh, between seventy to ninety percent of uh, system on chip peripherals are used in. in Applications. Otherwise, um, people would not select that specific process oh, yeah. for the design. Um, so let's go back. Let's wh- go back to my start. Yeah. It's like okay. So I have my wise. I have my magic board, and it's, it's the magic board I believe is right for me. And it has my system on a chip. Where do I go? Right. Well, that's a good question because um, uh, I guess the, the question that is following that where do I go and what do I need is what are the components that are that I should care about when I start thinking about porting Linux to to my custom board, right? Um, so Linux kernel for sure, okay. Uh, and you need to have a starting point as far as um, good Linux kernel kernel device drivers are concerned. Yeah. But, but you also need um, another piece of software, which is a tool chain to um, um, cross compile the Linux kernel yeah. and be able to to verify that uh, your port is working. Right. So yeah. what do you get the first one? So you mean the, so the, the Linux kernel? The Linux, well, I'd imagine like best place to go, and a lot of people, depending upon what board you have, is to go to kernel.org mm-hmm. and pick out what the latest release is, download it, and see if your your board has support for it mm-hmm. uh, inside the Linux kernel. And that's that's a question that's a, sort of a stinker question. So some people say, well, how do I know if my board's supported? And um, I always go and do a find for you know asterisk def config asterisk mm-hmm. and see what pops up, right? Um, because you know the the uh, the the scheme so far is it's board name underscore def config. And that's placed under the architecture uh, mm-hmm. directory. So 
you know, you should know what kind of, but if you don't know what architecture that your board is, that's an, indi- an indicator. Maybe you should get a consultant, right. To do the work for you. Right. But typically, yeah. you know, the architecture, right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're usually clueful enough to know what the architecture is. And then that way you can just run find and, uh, and see what def configs pop up. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's one way of doing that. But, um, uh, Defcon figs do not exist for all boards that are yep. that are um, currently on on the market, mm-hmm. and um, the support for device drivers and specific platforms that's in a kernel mainline, mm-hmm. in most cases, does not include support for all um, device drivers that are on a sure. reference platform, oh, yeah. right? From a from a semi vendor, so another source for a Linux um, kernel is um, semi vendor itself, right? Yeah. They um, today what we see is that. Um, most semi-vendors do have a, a Linux engineering team that does the Linux enablement on a, on their processors and reference platforms. And usually the Linux that um, is available from semi, even though it might not be based on the latest Linux kernel, will include support for uh, most, if not all, device drivers that are present on the reference. Yeah. Reference well, I know there's a great, I mean, among the semi-vendors that we work with, there's a great push right to get that into the linux mainline because they don't want to be maintaining these branches of linux it's just not it's not what they do for a, a living and um yeah so uh, but, but i do agree that, that sometimes you don't get that board support you know or, or peripheral support in the kernel mainline so, um, so you the, still may want to go with what's on kernel.org because it, exactly. it is because the core of the kernel is much much more current and then you simply have to sort of patch forward uh, or move forward the the drivers that are specific to that board, and that can get into some work. So uh, this is actually uh, a topic that I wanted to spend a minute on, which is yeah. why would you care about the latest Linux kernel uh, versus a, a Linux kernel that's let's say five versions older that comes from a semi vendor and has support for a number of device drivers. Mm-hmm. So so my answer to that question would be that um, well it depends from your hardware custom hardware design. Um, if you're using um, only a small subset of device drivers um, that are present on a reference card or device drivers that are quite well supported in a, by the mainline, um, it probably makes more sense to, to start with a kernel mainline because um, of all the work that is being done by open source community around fixes and, and re-implementation performance improvements to the core kernel uh, functionality and behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I would imagine that most customers would prefer to um, begin with the latest kernels to take advantage of those fixes, implementations, and well. Oh yeah. Well, the other the other artifact that you see in the embedded Linux community is right. So once someone will pick a Linux kernel, there is a very high resistance to switching to another version yeah uh, and and so whenever you're doing something like open source you're saying the linux kernel has the the head of line has all the most changes and has you know all the core architecture changes and a lot of stability changes and security changes i mean you want to start with those as your starting point uh if you're of the mind that you're not going to be changing kernel versions as your project progresses and i know a lot of people are in that in that camp where they say okay i've picked you know two six mumble and I'm using two six mumble forever, and and I will never change from that. And I, any any patches have to come against that version, um, or any changes have to come as patches against that version. And I might not even take those. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, but I would see the process, and so the process that we're talking about would be yeah. such that when you begin your project, you would probably want to take advantage of all the latest code that's available at yeah. that time. But once you um, are fairly far along in your in your porting efforts, or yeah. you have a Linux kernel tested running on the platform, at that point you probably would not want to 
introduce any changes or any significant changes because you have a working solution already. Right? Yeah, and there's and then so that means at the at the starting point, there's some reconciliation effort mm-hmm. between say, okay, I got my two six pick some number from my board vendor that has you know these four device drivers, and I think we'll talk. I don't know if we'll make, we'll make it in this podcast, but the later podcast about how you actually shift those around, right? Right. But they have these you know, four particular drivers. Those are the ones that I need. And then I need to get those working. I need to take those. I need, I need to set them up either as patches or modules that I compile you know, outside of my kernel tree for this newer version. I need to get mm-hmm. them to work mm-hmm. and validate that, you know, well, you know, even if they do compile, right? That's... <laughs> But does not mean working, right? So you need Absolutely. to at least make sure for so that you know they both compile and function yeah. as expected for the board, and that's sort of this um, starting point that that you need to account for and budget for time wise. That even if you get you know a Linux kernel that works from your board vendor, uh, most likely you're going to be doing some minimal amount of reconciliation between head of line for the kernel and whatever device drivers happen to come in mm-hmm. from the board vendor, uh, and maybe even some. Uh, satisficing. I think that's a. I think that's a word. There's some satisficing involved. You know, what does it, it mean? You know what? You I, I, I mean, sort, gotcha. you, you, you sort of live with something. You're not entirely happy with your choice, but it's the choice you feel like you had to make because that's just how things worked out. Because you may have to do some satisficing because the the board vendor may have picked you know two six mumble you know for its. Uh, two six eighteen because it couldn't get the drivers to work on the newer version of the kernel. Yeah, make sure that you add it to Wikipedia. <laughs> you know that. Anyways, that, that's actually a word. Okay. Um, so we, we, we talked about the Linux kernel so far, um, and we mentioned two sources for the Linux kernel. Right? Yeah. Um, do you see any other um, sources where people could get the Linux yeah, well, kernel from? Yeah. There's, well, there's a classic. In, there's a couple industry sites out mm-hmm. there, right? And I know. And you know, I'm hesitant to because I know one of them that, that handle the partners orders is, is sort of going away, and so I'm, I'm hesitant to, you know, to yeah. start rattling off a list that's probably be wrong. But I know a lot of folks. But you know, I'll try one, right? So a lot of people hit PPC, PPP, PPC Linux. I can't say it. Got it. And and there's one uh, dedicated to the AT91s as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so those generally contain some patches that are specific for a certain board. Uh, sometimes vendors will support their own. Um, will support their own patches for their own board as well on their mm-hmm. site. But those, those are the two that come to my mind as being industry uh, open sites. Okay. So, so um, we have identified three, uh, three kind of major sources for the Linux kernel, yeah. mainline Linux kernel, mainline semiconductor vendor, and then open source projects that care about specific um, feature functionality or, yeah. or, or a specific board. And yeah. uh, it might be a combination of the three to get you actually a, run, a good running solution. Oh, yeah. On your- yeah, there's definitely a three-way merge, I yeah. think, in order to get what you're happy with, um, so, it, you know, assuming you want to do the all open source thing. Um, so Okay, so that that's the Linux kernel. But you, you did talk about uh, the fact that you want to compile the Linux kernel. Maybe. 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 You don't <laughs> want to start doing it. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't well, know. I think that if you want to check if uh, your changes actually are uh, valid and they work, you do need a compiler, right? But, um, <laughs> okay, you might talk into that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. You do need a cross-compiler. No doubt about it. So where do you take it from? Oh, I don't know. You go to the cross-compiler tree that grows in the backyard. No, you know what a lot of people do is they get their cross-compiler from um, – sometimes they pick it up off the vendor. Sometimes the, vend- the board vendor, you know, it's enablement way. They'll ship you some some version of GCC, right, to compile mm-hmm. with. Or you can, you know, cross-compile your own, right? And you can use – there's a couple of projects out there for that that are reasonable. You have the um, cross-tool project uh, from Dan. The last name begins with K. I can't remember his last name ever. And then um, there's the build root project too that will build you a reasonable cross-compiler Sometimes, right? And both of those projects are 
are reasonable projects in order to to, to create a cross compiler, mm-hmm. or you can just man up and and build one from from scratch from GCC. Oh, you can buy sources. one from somebody. Oh yeah, you can go out and buy one. That, that that's actually turning into a. If you look at the market landscape, maybe that's in, in lines with satisfying, right? But if you look at what's happening out there in the market, that's that's all a growing area because it's it's a pain in the butt, right? To get uh, a tool chain that works, um, that's new. Right, those three things put together really is well new and actually well optimized for the processor that you care about, and um, a cross toolchain that will do a decent job in getting you a nice um, binary uh, image for the Linux but kernel but and but but application but development. Because you want to actually do the development of your Linux kernel and your entire system using well, it's not it's not required, but recommended that you use the same cross toolchain or toolchain to, to cross compile everything. Oh yeah, you should be doing that. But when you when you say it's like well optimized, I'm making quotes with my fingers. Well optimized for I can is, see that. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, um, like, so today, like sell me a well optimized uh, toolchain. Oh uh, well, I will talk about specific use case, and okay. uh, hopefully that will provide enough. Um, yeah, might grounds for, 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 for that case. But okay. um, let's say that you take a new uh, core that was developed by a semi that has, um, well, certain uh, instruction words that um, provide additional acceleration, hardware acceleration mm-hmm. for certain features. Um, to take full advantage like of hardware those, acceleration for what features? Um, well, I don't know. It, it, it can be uh, hardware acceleration for, well, you got me. I, I just want to understand. <laughs> well, it can be uh, hardware acceleration for... Um, floating um, point stuff? Floating point or... Um, let's say offload from a bus somehow. Some uh, of them have like uh, like integrated like instructions that's like shuttle stuff off to some DSP to do something and then like wait. If you, if and you have a stuff. DSP uh, available on the same platform, but um, in most cases, um, when you design a core mm-hmm. at, or system on chip, um, there are certain internal um, oh. areas. I mean, in the design of the core that um, make uh, the communication with an external world. Uh, much faster, right? So you have a, a bus and a system on chip and different peripherals loaded on the same um, are connected to the same bus. But um, the core itself can uh, process um, different words for multimedia, for example, in a certain way that um, the video, you get better uh, video processing um, in connection with memory access. Oh, so there might be a specific instruction to shuffle data around on, on memory through the bus, you know, through whatever it uses for its front side bus that does that, that requires less processing cycles on, 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 on the processor. processor. Ah, okay. So now I understand. Okay. So um, with those optimizations in the cross tool chain, mm-hmm. you can make sure that, um, well, there's, I guess, another area that um, got recently added to uh, PowerPC processors, some yeah. of them, which is uh, um, security um, and, and um, uh, what is it called? The codecs of different types and uh, okay. um so those additional hardware features are available, but you need to, in order to take advantage of them, you need um, additional code in the Linux kernel. I'm not sure if there's any requirement for the cross tool chain. Okay, but, but there's a certain instruction that's generated yeah. for that, or there, or someone wrote assembly somewhere that has a specific instruction built into it that if you can't, right, so the assembly will come by and say, oh, by the way, I don't know what that opcode does. Right. Ah, okay. Um, so, uh, anyways, um, talking about the cross tool chain and um, the source for the cross tool chain, you yeah. can probably get a decent cross tool chain um, that's generic for to like let's say ARM architecture or PowerPC architecture that um, will probably allow you to cross compile your Linux kernel code. Okay. Um, and a lot of uh, let's say PowerPC cross tool chains um, 
uh, backwards compatible in in, in way that um, you can use a um, uh, PowerPC seven XX cross tool chain with other um, with other sub architectures in a PowerPC family. So this is like something I think that you know, most people really miss on, right? Because even if you go out and get a tool chain, right, that you know develops that, that generates code that works for your processor, it doesn't mean it's generating necessarily the best code, and you could have all kinds of un, unused right performance right. features or security features uh, sitting on this processor that because the compiler never knows to generate the correct instruction sets for just never get used. It's, it's like you're buying processor that oh. because you don't have the right software enable, enablement. Just so like for security, um, um, it, I guess it would be primarily in the Linux kernel code, but um, and the compiler would provide certain functionality, but it wouldn't be up to a performance level that the processor was designed for, yeah. right? So you wouldn't be able to take full advantage of uh, hardware yeah. um, if you're not using a, a well-optimized um, cross tool yeah, that makes sense. And the next yeah, so that means you're, you're you're having all that money going. But I mean, you're paying more for that that chip design, right? right? But because you don't have the enabling software, it's it just goes to waste. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think a lot of people fall into that trap. It's like, oh, geez, I have my ARM eleven, you know, my ARM eleven processor it generates the right codes, things run, and, and and yet because it's not really taking advantage of everything on the chip, they're not getting the most out of that processor. Yeah. I think that we are. Kind of like, this is kind of like a segue right now. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's good. But um, let's go back to uh, to the topic of where you get the cross tool chain from yeah. and how to find the uh, the best tool chain for the task that I'm going to perform. Sure. Right. And my task is I'm porting the Linux kernel uh-huh. for my new processor mm-hmm. or new board. Um, so you mentioned several open source projects. Yeah. Um, but uh, in most cases, because the cross tool chain is such a difficult task to to build, I mean, um, it takes a lot of effort to uh, assemble on your own a, a, an appropriate cross tool chain that would that would also um, include all the optimizations in it. A lot of um, uh, customers that I talk to, um, and probably you, same case with you. Uh, they prefer to get a cross tool chain from a trusted source, and, and there are several places where you can get or purchase or get some sort of a cross tool chain for. Um, oh yeah, optimized for a specific family of processors. Sure. Um, so with that tool chain, um, the question is, uh, what is my development environment? Where do I install it? Um, are there cross tool chains available for? Well, Linux for sure, but Windows, for example, yeah. well, you know, how do I, know, I do that? Yeah, I know a lot of people. It's it's almost it's it's weird because it's sort of region dependent, right? Some regions are very uh, Windows oriented, where a lot of the development work still happens on Windows uh, platforms, uh, and that that always struck me as being odd uh, because I just thought there's a lot of efficiencies right behind using Linux as your development platform. Uh, but well, but you have to look out. I mean, you have to have your head your your you have to have your your things oriented. You're, you're thinking correctly because. You know, even if you manage to find a cross tool chain, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be one that executes on Windows. And mm. if you get into the "I'm going to build my own tool chain" route, which is it's an okay thing to do, if you want to go buy one, it's it's okay to build your own. You know, having that cross compile on Windows is its own adventure, right? There's actually two problems to solve at that point. One is making sure that it has the correct instruction set, it's generating the right code for the target processor, and the other thing is it has the the fixes in place to handle whatever variations occur because you're using Sigwin. Um, yeah, but that's you're right. That's you have to you know, pick an environment. You know, I've even found a lot of folks on Windows uh, that don't want to cross that hurdle mm-hmm. will uh, just run a VM on their Windows machine uh, and run Linux and run you know run Linux inside of that. Well, but I guess that a lot of times I hear the question: um, Is my end user experience going to be 
similar to the one of um, when I use Windows host uh, compared to Linux host? Uh, will I be able to perform exactly the same tasks, uh, or will I be constrained in any ways um, in in trying to adopt the Linux kernel for my hardware? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in, in a lot of um, times, uh, companies actually look at it and um, in scenarios where you know um, Linux as an operating system is new to a company, yeah. and uh, so far they've been using other operating systems. They have experience in embedded space, but um, using other solutions. Um, and um, in doing the development, they do um, have experience, or they have used so far only a Windows-based host um, development environment. Um, that it is to some extent a challenge, right? And and you want to manage your risks, but at the same time you want to leverage the uh, expertise uh, and experience that you have in the house. Yeah. Um, so the answer to the question whether you can work equally well under Windows is yes. Um, the the challenges in in getting an cross toolchain for Windows environment that comes oh, from yeah. a, from an open source. Sure. Right? So um, because it, it uh, well. It takes a lot of effort to build a cross-tool chain in general, but mm-hmm. building a cross-tool chain that runs under uh, Windows in some way is even more difficult. Sure. So getting it, uh, a toolchain like that from an open source is a bit difficult, um, and I haven't seen too many of uh, places where you could get such a toolchain from. But um, you can get it from um, different vendors, and um, um, I'm sure that there's one or two places in the open source that you can uh, find a toolchain like that. Sure. Uh, perhaps for the next... Um, Installment of that um, of this topic, we can we can um, talk, bring up some of examples. I mean, some of the open source projects where you could get um, such a cross tool chain. Yeah, but we'll just imagine. Let's just say that to keep things moving along, so we're not uh, uh, boring people to no end, um, <laughs> as usual. So uh, yeah. uh, let's just we'll, we'll pretend all of a sudden by magic, the the tool chain stork has come by, dropped off a tool chain that does in fact work right and and it's appropriate for the board and it's appropriate for uh, uh the processor and it's the perfect tool chain yeah then what um well you don't need well what kind of tool chain do you need that's then that's the next question uh, right okay because um the stork dropped off the perfect tool chain <laughs> well if you don't do uh application development at this stage and you want to just port the linux kernel the thing is that you don't need um libraries any libraries in your cross tool chain all you need yeah. is the bare bone tool chain that has gcc benutils and well actually that's it right? does it use a linker uh yeah i think it, it uses a linker too it, it does use a link i guess it's in benutils right but it's in the benutils so the point is that you don't need c libraries because um linux kernel being um autonomous uh, compared to um well, applications mm-hmm. um relies on its own implementations of um uh, well, different symbols. So if you do uh, um, printfs in kernel, that will be a printk. And all of those, um, again, symbols are implemented inside a kernel. Yeah, I do agree. There, There is no relationship between whatever libc you're using. As a matter of fact, there's not only no relationship, but there's not even, yeah, like you said, it's not even necessary that libc exists with your toolchain. Yeah. But then, you know, then again, I don't mean to get off into toolchain, whatever, but it's it, it takes a lot of effort, I think, to build a toolchain without the libc. Uh, right? I mean, that's... Mm. I mean, if you think about, if you think the way the scripts are structured, that, that, that gets kind of hard, right? I mean, okay, right. If, if you go, so I'm not sure if I agree, but um, that's okay. Uh, no, I, I want you to actually dive a bit more into that uh, segue. Let's, so, no, no, that's a good point. So, let's let's say you follow the uh, the scripts out of um, uh, if you get um, uh, cross tool or the uh, oh, uh, this, they're pretty much set up so that you you, you can't build 
right? right? They build all that in one shot and they may stop along the way. Um, but if you want to have, if you want to short circuit it and not build your libc, that's that's an entirely uh, sort of a nice a, a different way of doing that. Yeah. Um, I think the route that you were going, like, hey, if you if you're just using the if you're if you're if you're doing it the the manual way completely, yeah, I, I, I'll give you there. I mean, that's just one less step to perform because because libc is compiled independent of the compiler. Uh, you, can, well, you can use your first stage compiler and you'll be set. Yes, but uh, at the same time, um, certain applications require um, some other uh, C libraries like newlib. Yeah, um, or other um, small footprint uh, implementations of C library. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so if an open source project that you are working with does not support a specific library that you want to take advantage of, uh, don't be discouraged. I mean, you can you can continue um, that search in parallel. To, yeah, with um, the kernel development. Yeah, yeah. But what is this? We'll go back and just pretend the compiler stork. Yeah, dropped off whatever was right. Okay, so um, assuming that we have right now um, our development environment in place, right? Because yeah. you don't need, I don't think, anything else installed on your host machine to do the Linux kernel development, um, right? I'm looking at your face right now. You, okay. Okay. All right. So I've got an agreement. Um, so um, we have a Linux kernel. We have a cross-tool chain. Uh, what's next? Um, well, let's talk a bit about the internal structure of the Linux kernel. Sure. Uh, and introduce some concepts that will be important um, for the next installment and uh, when we talk okay. in more detail about um, what you have to adjust in the Linux kernel. Um, so, um, well, the first thing that comes to my head is the fact that a um, uh, kernel has two um, distinctive spaces there's an app, a user space and a kernel space sure and when you do a linux kernel port uh what you're concerned with is primarily the kernel space sure um user space provides the um, um, connection to a uh, well c library for example um via system calls right so that's how uh user applications can control or talk to uh, specific device drivers uh-huh. but once the system call is dispatched into a linux kernel space what happens there um well is is, is a different story sure um so let's talk about different blocks of um functional blocks that are implemented in a linux kernel okay can you start with that well i mean the first one you have right that, that most people run across right is a file system block yeah and that's you know, that's typically what they spend a lot of time on. Mm-hmm. And then there's also why do um, they spend a lot of time on? File oh my system oh my goodness! So for embedded systems, most people pick a different file system. Right. And well, in fact, when the Linux kernel uh, is shipped in its default configuration, not the ship, but whenever you get in its default configuration, it usually has you know several file systems built in, all of which take up a lot of memory, right? And right. so you know one of the first jobs you do is clip out the file systems you're not using. Right. And then you also usually clip clip out the peripheral devices you're not using, the other bus devices. So I agree with you that um, file system support is is very crucial mm-hmm. in the Linux kernel because without file system, you're not going to be able to boot the Linux kernel all the way up, right? But uh, this is also a piece of, uh, well, part of the Linux um, kernel code, a core to the Linux kernel, yeah. that most likely you won't have to touch uh, when you port the Linux kernel to um, to your custom hardware. You'll have to probably reconfigure the kernel to enable disable some um, support for certain file systems, but you don't have to. You won't most likely have to um, adjust the code itself. Well, yeah, and that's probably like a good thing to talk about, right? Because you know the difference between uh, going in and running configure, right? Because when mm-hmm. I talk about clipping out, right, I'm really talking about running configure 
and getting rid of things that I'm not interested in. Okay. And I think you're talking about, hey, I'm going to open up this device driver here and get yeah. rid of things I don't need or otherwise adjust things so that they, they function right. correctly. So I agree that this is a two-tier approach, um, yeah. that there's a configuration approach and then there is a, a, a down to the level of a source code involvement, right? Sure. Where, where you have to modify certain uh, code, write device drivers, modify device drivers, attach some C files inside the Linux kernel source tree. Yeah. But uh, l- let's just uh, quickly do a run through uh, functional blocks of the Linux kernel. Sure. Just just to uh, um, build that um, layer. So there's file system support. Yeah. There is um, memory management, the big MM spot, right? Uh, well, yes, there's a process management, mm-hmm. right, which is uh, more of a scheduler approach where, where you schedule different tasks sure. as, as they execute. Um, you mentioned memory management. Yeah. Um, and memory management is divided into several um, functional pieces, mm-hmm. some which are hardware-independent and some that are hardware-dependent. Sure. And that that will actually apply to um, most of the um, internals inside the Linux kernel except for um, file systems, right? But uh, when you talk about memory management, that relies heavily on having a memory management unit attached to your CPU. Oh, yeah. Um, and with the um, power management, for example, you, you want to have some of the hardware peripherals to support good power management handling. Uh, there's a device control. Um, there's networking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you talk about networking or devices, um, there are several types of um, device drivers that are available in the next kernel, right? There are, um, and you can and you can see all of those when you um, bring up the kernel configuration screen. Okay. Um, but there are network device drivers, uh, there are character device drivers, yeah. and there are um, block device drivers, mm-hmm. right? Um, so those are the three major types of um, uh, device drivers that you will find in the Linux kernel. And a lot of um, devices like console, um, uh, well, video device drivers, they actually all fork off um, those types of block or character device drivers or network device drivers. Um, and then there's also the um, the core um, kernel implementation that provides support for a specific um, processor, a specific CPU. Right? So when, you inter- when a semi-vendor introduces a new um, processing core to the marketplace, um, they usually also provide a um, part of the Linux kernel source tree that provides support for that processor, for that processing unit, for that core. Um, and this is important because if you were to write that piece of the Linux kernel code on your own, I think it would be a much more difficult task to, to perform. Because right? um, this is this is really a lot of code. Uh, this is initialization. This is how the instructions are being handled by um, the processor. Um, so those are more or less um, functional pieces that you would find inside the Linux kernel. And again, they are divided into um, hardware-dependent and hardware-independent pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also um, parts of the Linux kernel code that are architecture and processor-specific. Sure. Um, device drivers, however, are not necessarily um, associated with a specific processor or um, architecture. So yeah, they so can be reused on multiple uh, architectures. Yeah, so just when things got fun, 
So we have to. We're like ten minutes over our time limit. So, oh my goodness! So I You're say a talker, Gene. No, no, no. I, I always say we have to stop talking. It's more appropriate that you have to stop talking because I, <laughs> I, I don't think I've been contributing anything the past a couple minutes. Yeah. No. Okay. So um, that, my eyelids were closing and stuff. I mean, that was that, uh, that, that means that I stuff was, that I'm I was just talking resting, about is not. I was just resting that my eyes. Huh? Yeah, I was just resting <laughs> my eyes. That's how it okay. So um, yeah, I, I agree that we don't want to take too much of your time, um, and we did schedule another. Oh, yeah. um, recording session to continue on a topic of um, porting Linux kernel to a uh, custom hardware. Sure. So um, I think this is a, a, a good stopping point. Sure. Um, we'll, we'll take it from there next time. Yeah. And and if you have any questions or comments, feel free to write into us uh, podcast at timesys dot com. Mm-hmm. I did get one note. Uh, it was interesting. So someone wrote in and, and they were said, you know, you won't refer to me, you know, you won't put me on a mailing list or anything like. That. So if you do write in, don't don't be afraid. We won't, you know, we won't stick a salesman on you or anything like that, or or put you on some spam list we have to tolerate for the rest of your life. Yeah, Gene actually um, might call you, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> well, we do write back though, right? Yes, um, we do. Uh, so if you write in, we, we do our, our our best to write back to you. But yeah. I uh, said so it was actually for more than one person. So I've heard from several people. It's like, well, I didn't want to write in because I was afraid that you know it would be, I would be put on a spam list for the rest of my life, which is I, we promise we won't do that. So yeah. feel free to write in with your questions or comments. We do get a uh, a lot of email, and we do our best to respond. But s- sometimes we don't, and, and if we don't, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll apologize. I'm sorry. So um, today, thank you very much for for your attention and time, uh, and we'll continue on the topic next time. Yeah, tomorrow next time we're digging into what we're going to be digging into creating device drivers, right? and and more lower level stuff right absolutely great okay see you then thanks bye this podcast was brought to you by timesys are you new to embedded linux looking for a way to simplify your next project the linux link service by timesys makes it easy to build your custom embedded linux platform go to timesys.com today or call 866-392-4897 to learn more